this is the portion where we're talking about worship and drawing close to God through worship. And something that I was thinking about was the familiarity that we have with the things of God, the familiarity that we have as the church in the 21st century. We're at church, you know, it's cool, Jesus is my homeboy. That's sort of the permeating culture that we're in right now. You know, we're in a dispensation of grace and mercy, and the grace of God is not the enablement to do what you want and then go and sin and then ask forgiveness. That sort of seems to be the thought process right now in our culture. Like, I can do what I want. God meets me where I am. He loves me just the way I am. And there's a a danger there, serious danger of being familiar with God in a way that will ultimately lead to our demise, ultimately lead to separation from God because of sin. And grace is the enablement to not sin. His grace enables us to make the choices that draw us closer to Him and don't separate us from Him. And I have been just in a time of worship and in a time of prayer, as I'm sure everyone listening to me this morning has been during COVID. We've had a lot of downtime. We've had a lot of time to draw close to God. And it's so much easier, obviously, to shut everything out and binge watch Netflix, right? Nothing wrong with Netflix, right? I need some, you know, distraction from (laughs) the craziness of the world. But I believe God is readying a sacrifice. He is readying his people for himself. He's making us ready because we're in the end times and he wants a bride without spot or wrinkle, like he said in Revelation. So my mom used to say that in the end times, which we're living in, God is getting out his ironing board and his iron and his spray and wash which is like OxyClean, you know, it's a stain remover. She said, because God wants a bride without spot or wrinkle. So I'm going to open this morning by reading something that God gave me about a year ago um, for a body of believers. We were praying and um, seeking God together and a spontaneous song came forth and I'm just going to read it instead of singing it. (laughs) I am readying you preparing an acceptable sacrifice, not for work, but for worship, not for a calling, but for communion, not for a ministry, but for marriage, because we are one. You are my bride. I am your portion and my kingdom will come. This is not a time to back down, to let up or turn away. The battle isn't yours at all. It's mine to wage. I am fighting for you. As you swing the sword, I am with you. My truth is yours. I am strengthening you in the battle. I'm going to read that again. I am strengthening you in the battle. My grace paid for your salvation, but love without sacrifice is only infatuation. And there's an old song that when I was a little girl, we used to sing at almost every altar call in my old church. And it was, turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim 
in the light of His glory and grace. And I had a professor back at Christ for the Nation who used to say, we always say only a look at Jesus will save, which is true. And it's an old song that Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir made famous years ago. The look will save, but it's the gaze that sanctifies. It's the gaze that sanctifies as we gaze at his beauty, as we gaze at Jesus and we delve into his word and we want to get to know him, not for what he can give us, not for what he can do for us, but simply to know him. He sanctifies us. And that's his deepest desire is to sanctify us and ready us to be his bride because he loves us so much. He puts everything. He put everything. He sacrificed everything into readying us for himself so he could present us to himself as a bride. And um, I've been studying about Solomon and the shields of gold. In the Old Testament, in 1 Kings, actually, 1 Kings Sorry, 1 Kings, verse 10, um, in verse 16, King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of gold went, to, went into each shield, and then he made 300 shields of hammered gold. Three minus of gold went into each shield. So he had large shields and small shields entirely made of gold. 500 shields of gold. And the king put them into the house of the forest of Lebanon. And they had a special ceremony that they would do. I'm just going to break it down for you. They had a special ceremony every time they went to war and they took out the shields. They would bring these gold shields out and present them and do a whole ceremony. And when they came back from war, which they were always victorious during Solomon's reign, um, they were always victorious. They would bring those shields back and they would do the ceremony and put them back into the room. And in Second Chronicles, verse 9, it talks about the shields of gold again. And the thing about both um, renditions of the story and the, the history of this is that in First Kings, it says, he took them away. King Rehoboam caused them to be taken away. Solomon's son was King Rehoboam and he took over. And But in Second Chronicles, it says that the king of Egypt took them away. And I was like, did Rehoboam take them away or did the king of Egypt take them away? And basically in First Kings, when it says that King Rehoboam caused them to be taken away, you find out in Second Chronicles that King Rehoboam stopped serving God. He basically started setting up altars, offering incense to false gods, and his heart was not towards God. He was not serving God. He was uh, not reigning under the fear of God. He sort of just did what he thought was good and did what he thought would work, and he was sort of gliding by 
on what his father had done and the riches that Solomon had set up. He was walking in that and he was reaping the benefits of Solomon's fear of God, but he was not consistent in following after the ways of God. And so God said, I am going to judge Rehoboam. I'm going to judge him. I'm going to cause the king of Egypt to come and take away the wealth. And that's what happened. But that's what brought Rehoboam into repentance. And God didn't cause Rehoboam's reign to end at that point. He said, well, I'll have mercy, but he still doesn't have those shields of gold anymore. And so Rehoboam was embarrassed by this because there were no gold shields in that room anymore. So he had shields of bronze made. And if you've ever seen bronze or brass shined up really, really pretty, it looks like gold, but there's no value in it. it there's, it's not gold. And he shined up those, those shields. He's like, I'm going to fool the children of Israel. They're going to think that, you know, I have all the power and God's behind me in my reign, you know, but he knew it wasn't true. He knew why it happened. He knew that the glory had departed from his reign, but he shined up those shields real pretty and he kept them in the same armament room and he performed the same ceremony every time they went to war and every time they came back, they were put back in there. And so these guards are guarding this room, but it's worthless. And God spoke to me about this back in uh, 2016 about four years ago. And he said, Carrie, I am taking my ministry back. I am taking it back from man because it's become a show. And I'm not talking about church services with, you know, lights and the in-ears and all that. I'm not talking about the type of church that, you know, you may have or a lot of bigger churches may have. I know a lot of people like to uh, criticize um, the method, but that's very dangerous. I don't know if you remember a couple years ago when I did a sermon for your church and I talked about the method of worship being um, criticized and that that is the spirit of McCall, um, Saul's daughter, you know, and that there's no fruit to our ministry if we criticize the method of worship. So it's not what I'm doing here. Our walk with God, our lifestyle of worship, so much has become a show. We scroll through Twitter feed to find a good quote. We scroll through our Bible to find a good quote that we can tweet out so it'll get retweeted and get a lot of likes. So, so scary. You cannot build your life on a Twitter quote. You cannot build your life on someone else's walk with God and their revelation. Right now is the time that God is drawing his church to himself. He has shown this during this time of COVID because nobody's getting credit for what God's showing you. Do you know what I'm saying? Your pressing into God, into his heart, will guide you for what lies ahead in your day and in your walk with Christ. No one else can hear from God for you. That's why Paul said we have to have the meat of the word, not the milk of the word. <laughs> Man, I have been so guilty of this. You know, when I'm having a quiet time with Jesus and if I'm in the middle of reading another book, which 
okay, I love Philip Yancey, I love Max Lucado, I know they're sort of older writers, even Oswald Chambers or Tozer. Whoo, Tozer's so good. He'll cut you. It's so good. But I love to read authors. Philip uh, Yancey did a book that's called What's So Amazing About Grace. It's incredible. I just wanted to tell somebody to read it because I can right now. Um, it's so good. But when I'm reading those books, the danger for me personally, just putting myself out there, is I start reading those books instead of my Bible, right? I'm like, ooh, that's so good. And there might be a scripture verse in there, and I'll like check out that scripture verse while I'm reading. But my time and my attention will be taken with that book and what that guy has gotten when they've sat in the presence of God, not what God wants, right? He's like, that's good. I'm glad you got that word. Now sit down and spend some time talking to me. And during COVID, I've noticed um, a trend, especially with uh, friends of mine, members of my family, uh, self-help and introspection and working on myself so that, you know, when we come out of this, I'm really able to help other people. Man, the time right now is to see what God wants. It's not self-help. It's not getting your act together. If you wait for that, you're never, ever going to reach beyond yourself to help others. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says that we all with unveiled face, the veil has been lifted when the cross made a way. When Jesus died on the cross, that veil was rent from top to bottom in the temple. And he said, no more do you have to present sacrifices of blood. No more is my presence going to be felt in the Holy of Holies and on the mercy seat. No. Our heart is the mercy seat of Christ. And with unveiled face, we're beholding as in a mirror. This Bible is a mirror. James says that. We look in the Bible and we see what he is calling us to become, who he sees us now, sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of the King. It is time to look into the Bible and recognize that he is calling us from glory to glory to glory every day, becoming more and more like the one who created us and saw who we were purposed to be before time began. He's got your face on his hand. He looks at that every day and he's like, yeah, listen, listen to my voice. Don't look to man. Don't look to others. Look at me. I had a dream about three years ago and there were all these broken pieces of pottery and they were part of one huge piece of pottery that um, it was it was a whole piece, but you could see all those broken spaces in between but they were all part of this one big piece of pottery and they were fused together. They had been sandblasted, made terracotta to be one piece with the larger vessel. And I saw people in all these pieces begging for water to come. Pastors and leaders were turning on unseen knobs or a handle causing water to rush into their piece of the pottery. And the people were thanking the pastors and the leaders. And the pastors and leaders were accepting the thanks and telling the people how to get the water by turning the knob, but directing the water to come to them, to that particular piece of pottery. But then the scene panned out like a camera. I saw this 
whole scene. And there was a hand, a large hand, larger than the entire pottery piece, and it was holding a hose out of which came a continual stream of water that was flowing. And I heard a voice say, the water is free and it cannot be bought or manipulated to flow. It's always flowing and I am wanting to reach the thirsty. The leaders didn't turn this water on. They have no control over me. They simply opened their hearts during a time of prayer, opened their hearts during a time of prayer and repentant humility but they're trying to formulate their experience into humanistic terms when the people must stop looking inward and open their hearts to receive from me in brokenness and humility. And God has been telling me it is time to put an end to performance in ministry. It is time to completely turn our hearts towards the one who is allowing the living water to flow. This water must flow. This river must flow. It's so exciting to be part of what God's doing in this time. As crazy as it has been, there's no fear in the love of God. His love, there's no fear. So everything we do is dictated by the love of Christ. It compels us. The love of Christ compels us to tell others about his love. It compels us to help the needy, to help the hurting, to help the lost. The fear-based relationship with Christ is that we're scared of being judged, scared of being corrected, scared that if we do something wrong um, or we move out of what he's set, the boundaries that he set, that he's going to punish us. So then we are stationary and we don't ever move. We never do anything. But God can't steer a parked car, right? Move in the love of Christ. I remember this past year has been really, really hard for our family just to be a little vulnerable with you this morning. I have seen the enemy attack my kids in such a crazy way. Uh, my son has gone through it, right? He's 16 and he's at that adolescent age where he's trying to make decisions and trying to figure out who he is. And if he believes in Jesus for himself, like if he believes in Jesus or if just because he's been conditioned and raised in um, a Christian home, which I went through that. My daughter went through that. My husband went through that. My mom went through that. If if you're a parent, you understand every kid has to go through this. They can't just walk through life doing everything like a robot, right? So in that process, um, he opened himself up to get hurt by some friends. And I remember I was so wanting to just pull him out of school. And I was wanting to protect him from all these unseen forces that were obviously the enemy trying to uh, take his calling away from him and his purpose away from him. And my heart was just broken for him. And I couldn't go through it for him, but I was trying to control circumstances that would keep him within our control and within our little sphere of influence in his life. And I was like, I don't want to lose my son. Not in the greater sense of him dying, but spiritually, you know, and I, God brought to my mind the, the scripture verse in Job where Job had gone through losing his family, losing his houses, losing all, everything that he had, his wealth, um, 
his wife stayed. She wasn't the greatest encouragement, right? Um, but he had lost everything. And people always say, you know, Satan attacked Job and there was no reason God just allowed it to show Job that he was there. And that's true. God wanted Job to say, hey, all I need is Yahweh. And that's worship is recognizing our need for God and leaning into him alone. But Job said, the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. That's what he said. The thing I greatly feared has come upon me. And God said, Carrie, if you fear the unknown and you fear these influences and you fear that this is the road your son's going to go down, be careful because everything you do will be based out of that fear. But if you adjust your sails so that when my Holy Spirit begins to blow a different way, your family is not blown off course. And you press into me and say, you know what? I trust you. This stinks. This is not what I signed up for, but I signed up for Jesus. And to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings is part of that, right? And I'm telling you, church, don't fear the unknown. Don't fear. There's no fear in his love. If we allow fear to take even the smallest stronghold, it's going to dictate how we operate in our walk with God. It's going to dictate how we begin to navigate the purposes and the plans that God has for our life. Because man's heart prepares his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Any preparation done in fear is going to become undone because God's not in it. He is your all in all. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4 talks about all ministry flowing from our relationship with Jesus. It has to flow from true worship. Verse 8 in Isaiah 61 says, I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth, and I will make with them an everlasting covenant. If I worship Jesus, if I worship God in truth, then I am worshiping from my relationship and not what someone else has experienced, which I said earlier. I need to see who Christ is to me, and my worship flows from my relationship. I know that I've spoken on this before, but the word yada means to know, to intimately perceive, to understand, find out, discern, to discriminate, consider, know by experience, to be revealed, to be made known. And that's what God's calling us to, is to know him. Yada is Adam knew Eve and she conceived and when we're in his presence day after day, seeking him, he fills us with his glory. He impregnates us with his glory. And as someone who has been pregnant four times, four times in five years of marriage, I was pregnant. I had three deliveries. And I'm telling you right now, you walk different. Your appetites change big time. Things that used to be okay, like are suddenly disgusting to you because the baby doesn't want it. <laughs> and the baby is like, no, that's not good for me. 
And um, I'm just telling you, spiritually, that's what's happening. I couldn't leave that baby behind when I would go somewhere. That baby was with me wherever I went, growing, being nurtured, being formed. And His glory fills us. And um, I'm going to look this word up because I'm not going to say it right. Kintsugi is the Japanese art. I knew I wouldn't say that word right, but kintsugi is the Japanese art of taking a broken piece of pottery and fusing it together, filling all the cracks with gold. And instead of throwing that pottery away, they fuse all those pieces together with gold and it's considered more beautiful and um, worth more than the original piece of pottery was. And that's what God does with us. If we're filled with His glory, when we become broken, we don't fall apart. His glory is there and it fuses those broken pieces together and it seals those cracks, shines through. Let His glory cover the earth. Let the knowledge of the glory of God cover the earth as you walk out His purposes and plans and that glory, the more time you spend in the presence of God, it fills you to overflowing and it overflows everywhere. You know, hot water softens carrots. Hot water hardens eggs. And when we're in hot water, the circumstances that we find ourselves in so many times, especially the last crazy nine months, right? We shouldn't worry about or fear what that hot water is gonna do to us. But that hot water can be changed into something desirable. I love coffee. Give me a coffee IV, I say. I love it. It's a magical substance that turns get out of my way into good morning, honey, you know, when I'm talking to Vance <laughs> in the morning. And that's what his glory is. It's those coffee beans, right? And it changes the hot water into something desirable. So you set the thermostat. You're not a thermometer. You're a thermostat. You're dictating the atmosphere where you go. The presence of God is dictating the atmosphere where you go. And I want to leave you with something. Coffee beans are not fully usable until they're taken off of the plant roasted in the fire, and then crushed. That is when they release the fragrance. That's when they can change the hot water into something that everybody wants to drink. Well, everybody that I go to coffee with. And I feel like right now there's somebody there that is struggling with unforgiveness in their lives. There's somebody who's struggling with unforgiveness in their heart. I don't know if you were abused as a child. I don't know if you were hurt by someone in the church uh, saying something about you. Whatever it was, let it go. Mark Twain said that forgiveness is the fragrance the violet sheds back upon the foot that trampled it. <laughs> let it go. Only through forgiveness can you move forward. 
and be who God created you to be and cover the earth with the glory of God. I love you guys so much. I miss you. I wish I was there with you. And hopefully we'll be together again. I'm sending in a song uh, to Pastor Jim to tag the end of this sermon with. And let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you do all things well. We find no fault in you. Have your way in our hearts. Have your way in our lives, in our thoughts. We surrender our thoughts to you. And we don't give in to old familiar thought patterns because you renew our minds day by day. And just like manna from heaven, every day it's new. Every day your mercies are new because they're tailor-made for us for that day. Thank you, Jesus, that you do what you say you're going to do. You don't lie to us. And you will complete that which concerns us. You will perfect that which concerns us. And we're never going to arrive until we see you face to face. And we can't wait for that day. So we're keeping ourselves ready. We're keeping ourselves pure, holy, and acceptable for your service, Jesus. And we worship you and we honor you. In your name we pray, amen and amen.
Thank you so much for joining us here at Lowell Assembly. As we close, I want to just put a, an encouragement in your direction. There are many places in the Bible where the phrase comes up, what ought we to do? You know, when Peter preached in, in the day of Pentecost, the people said, what must we do to be saved? There was one moment when Jesus fed a multitude of people. In fact, one of the disciples said, there's no way we can do this. There's no way we can do this. And yet, by the power of God, Jesus fed 5,000 people. And afterwards, one of, one of them said to him, what must we do to do the works of God? And after hearing a message that you heard and, and watching what you've watched, my personal challenge to you is this, that you would ask the question, not of yourself, to, not rhetorically, not to us, but upward to God, Lord, how do I take what I've just heard and allow those same kind of miracles, those same kind of truths, to be at work in my life because God is a God that not only saves, He feeds. He's not only a God that feeds, He delivers. He not only delivers, He encourages. He not only encourages, He brings peace out of depression. He brings hope out of hopelessness. What must we do? And that's what we want to see you do is not to just simply be hearers of the word, but this week say, God, how do I put this into practice in my life? And it will always be by trusting God to supernaturally make it happen, but looking for the opportunity of God to do it. Thank you for listening to us. We ask that you like, follow, share, help us go further faster. We've got a great truth here that God wants many to hear. Appreciate you joining us, and we hope to see you live or again online next week. God bless you.